Blog Talk Radio. Jake Counts, writing shotgun me with me as always is uh, TJ Smith, and ladies and gentlemen, this is your one hour of reality. No rhetoric, none of that. We double check our facts, we make sure that we have everything in place, and then we will source our documentation for you that you can go and find on the website www.wearenotcattle.net, and check the hyperlinks out, check our facts, make sure that we're right. Sometimes we get things a little bit skewed, but for the majority of the time, we do our fact-checking and make sure that we present you with the information that you need to know, and then you can make your decision from there. TJ, thanks for being on board with me this morning. How are, how are things this week? Everything good? Everything's pretty much good, you know. Um, the the U.S. doing pretty good inside the Olympics. I rose above China, so we all good. All right, man. Well, um, just to give you guys an idea of what TJ and I talked about last night, um, we uh, we have a couple of different ideas what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, so kind of stay tuned for that. But we're toying with the notion of doing a, a 30-minute special once a, once a month to do what we're going to call um, through the rabbit hole. You know, um, Morgan Freeman's got his thing through the wormhole, but what we're going to do is uh, take a deeper dive into some – second and third layer thinking, and uh, just to kind of get your brain moving in a different direction, unplugging from the television, and um, just talk about things that we find fascinating and um, and kind of move in that direction, maybe once a month, once every couple of weeks, something like that. So stay tuned for all of that stuff. So getting into the show for today, what we're going to do is um, TJ and I have got a couple of articles that we want to cover, and then we're going to launch into um, a bunch of different facets we're going to launch into um, the Facebook accounts, which um, a lot of people know about that. We're going to get into the UN Moy Mal Gun Treaty, which um, could get ratified by our president. And we're also going to talk about the study that came out a couple of uh, a couple of days ago about fluoride in the water. We've got some background documentation on that. We're going to talk about uh, Iran and Syria. And and then that's about it. But first, I want to get into the, the clip that we could not pull up last week so that TJ and I can break this down. And then what um, what you can see from the establishment right, and I don't mean to say establishment is a bad thing, but it's, um, you know, the people that are on the right side of the fence, you know, the Fox News people, those kind of things. What, what they can do is called a gaffe, and that's where you take a – a section of a speech that sounds kind of awkward, and then you crop it to where it sounds like that a person said something that they really didn't say. So here is um, our president in the entire speech of the you didn't build that, and then TJ and I are going to break it down, and then you can also hear where the gaffe comes in and then how Fox News and other – Conservative media sources took this and, and ran with it, and it's just it's just blatant disinformation. But hey, we deal with that on a day-to-day basis. That's why TJ and I are here to set the record straight. So here's the clip, and then TJ, I'm going to let you break this down and then talk about why it's why it's important for us to really do our research and really do our our fact checking and even double and triple check, as um, Reagan always said, trust but verify. So here's the clip. Just so smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. It must be because I worked harder than everybody else. Let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of hardworking people out there. If you were successful, somebody along the line gave you some help. There was a great teacher somewhere in your life. Somebody helped to create this unbelievable American system that we had that allowed you to thrive. 
Somebody invested in roads and bridges. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. The internet didn't get invented on its own. Government research created the internet so that all the companies could make money off the internet. The point is, is that when we succeed, we succeed because of our individual initiative, but also because we do things together. So, TJ, break that down for us. Remember, when somebody makes a point, typically when they say the point is, that's the point that they're trying to get across. So, so break down what the, the, the right-wing media did and then, um, and then expand on that from, from our perspective and how you and I always like to search for truth and, um, and just kind of take it from there, expand on why, why the, uh, the misinformation that the right-wing put out there created a talking point, which has now created a buzz that they're just trying to build momentum for an election. Yeah, um, like I said um, last Saturday uh, when we was actually talking about this, that President Obama, what he was initially was saying goes back to one of the old sayings as as it goes, um, there is no such thing as a free lunch, which means that if, let's say, um, a poor person was to get some food, it means that, yes, he would have got it free, but it's not really free because there was somebody that had to package the food, somebody that had to process it. There was a guy on the phone that had to raise the cows to, you know, to get the beef. And that's exactly what he meant. He meant that everything that is here inside America, um, we all actually helped at some point in time, whether it be inside the past or inside now, to establish it. You know, when you buy a car, there's somebody that actually put together that car. And before those people, there was people who actually um, assembled those parts that shipped it to um, the place uh, where they actually assembled the car and so forth. And there's someone that designed it, and it goes further and further. The thing that the media actually did is they took his words and they skewed it. It is clearly, I mean, you can clearly see what he is actually saying, especially when he gives an um, example of the teacher, how that there was a teacher um, that could have taught you, you know, and someone taught that teacher and so forth. And, you know, one thing that the media tries to do is they would take something so small, they would blow it up to proportion, they would hammer it. And here they have hammered Obama with this, and it's just flat out wrong. The guy, I mean, uh, President Obama, what he clearly stated was not wrong. It's actually more truthful than you actually know. And when we do things that we're not counter radio, you know, we, instead of taking tidbits and, oh, Let's take this part where he said and blame it on him. What we do is, no, we analyze everything. We double-check everything. We make sure that we are not actually, you know, jumping to assumptions. And we don't actually take no sides. We take the side of freedom. We doesn't take the side of the Republicans or the Democrats. We're on the side of freedom. So if any side is wrong, we call them out on it. Yeah, and we take the side, like you said, of freedom and, and truth. And the only way that we're going to get out of this of this vacuum that we're in here in the United States and and all around the world is if we is if we search for the truth and then we explain the truth and get it out there because and this is something that we'll get into a little bit later. There there are two ways to view the world. And we want to start we want to start educating people on the pros and cons of each. And now one way to view the world is individual countries have what's called individual sovereignty, which means that you're responsible for yourself. You can trade with other nations, but the responsibility for you to defend yourself is on it's on your country alone. And the responsibility for you keeping your population and your economy stabilized is is the responsibility of the state, the individual state, and nothing but the individual state. Then there is what's called the globalization model, or what they like to term global governance or global government. So it all means the same thing. In essence, it's it's a consortium of taking all the world's resources, combining them together, and and basically having a world constitution 
and conducting humanity over a global scale rather than an individual scale. Now, one of the challenges that you run into with that, and TJ, you and I talked about this last night, and I'm kind of getting on a tangent, but we need to talk about this before we set up the show for the most part, is that when you move to a globalization model, when you move to a world government model, what you, in essence, will happen, and we'll get into this with the UN Gun Treaty, is that you will have foreign agents in your nation conducting not only business but also conducting governance, um, overseeing certain things. And as we all know, or from the most of us know, if you move to a foreign country or you go to a foreign country, you don't have anything that is tying you to that nation's culture. You have nothing that's tying you to those, in, even those individuals. So basically you have no vested interest in the well-being of those people because they don't affect your what's called your your little micro society that would be your family your friends all of those things so tj expand on why we should yield more towards the individual sovereignty and how that yields freedom as opposed to moving toward a global standardization model that they're trying to push which is what tj and i talk about here on the show frequently, which they refer to as a new world order. Well, the whole point of a global, um, I can't put like this. If, when, when, you, when you go back in history and you look at some of your world dictators that have tried to conquer the world, you understand that any time when someone actually tries to – fact, let me start off because I'm going to have to break this down. Um, <laughs> think about it like this. Um, I told you all last Saturday who the Illuminati was, who the Global League was. I told you that they are, you know, these 13 families connected to 500 other families. So imagine if you have these 13 families and they're trying to rule the vast majority of the world. And the only way to do this is to combine every nation into these unions and then to take those unions and then to combine them into a global empire. If you have 13 people trying to do this, eventually it's going to lead to war amongst themselves. And this is one reason why World War II was actually fought because um, the global elite was actually fighting amongst each other. You had one who actually wanted fascism while the other wanted almost what socialism or communism in a way. So anytime when you have a group of people who are trying to rule the world, only thing is going to lead to civil war amongst themselves, which will basically drive everyone else into this onslaught, into the killings of millions. Yeah, and then like you said, even if it's even if you remove the even if you remove the the Illuminati portion of it. You know, and and a lot of people will, will. That's probably one of the shows where we'll take the deep dive. Even if you remove that, still what TJ says rings true. If you get a a group of basically bureaucrats that'll that'll be in control of global food supply, global security, all those things, then you run you run the risk of there being once all everything is collectivized. Now, like TJ said, now you have you know grounds for infighting once uh, uh, amongst one another and then you know everybody power grabbing for more and more control of that little facet so human nature for the majority of these people that are in leadership positions they crave power they crave authority they don't really care about money and that is one of the things that we need to watch out for so closing that out let's move on to TJ, what's going on in the news today? And um, let's start with the with the Facebook with the Facebook scam. And this is um, one of the articles that I wanted to talk about. And TJ and I will expand on it because what Facebook did when they IPO'd is their stock was hovering. Gosh, I, I can't remember. TJ, was it around forty dollars or something like that when they IPO'd? Do you remember? Well, anyway, they. I guess I lost TJ for a second. He probably had to hop off. But um, in essence, what they did was they had an IPO, and then they had a, a $40 target rate or whatever. So when they IPO'd at 40 bucks, everybody got into the marketplace and started buying up shares of Facebook. 
So what I do have here is a clip of what's called a pump and dump. And in essence, what a pump and dump is, is when you you have a stock that IPOs and then you get some kind of buzz going and it will push the stock upwards, which we never saw from Facebook, which really leads me to believe and even thinking along these lines that it might have been a pump and dump where the where the premium stock went out the back door as soon as the stock got launched, knowing that the stock was going to go down, down, down. The, the initial investors wanted to make their profits on the front end and then get out. So here is a breakdown of what a pump and dump is, and then we'll expand on that on the backside and talk about the what we're running into with Facebook is there's a lot of, of, of pages that are actually, you know, not that are not actual human beings and I want to talk about some some of the some of the reasons that is and then also moving on top of that talk about what happened with Mark Zuckerberg or what they're saying happened with all of his money. So here is a breakdown of a pump and dump. In the beginning, there's some stock no one really cares about it much, but some people know about it and they start accumulating and buying shares. Then some event takes place. The stock pops up and the excitement starts spreading to the boards and it gets a smiley guy because people are getting excited now. Then some other news event happens and the stock spikes even higher. It goes up 50, 100, 200%. Now people are really excited about it. And here comes the fun. There's the promise of a press release, the promise of some event. It happens and the stock explodes and we're talking a huge move and it's always, always on huge volume. New investors get caught in this spike each and every time. A lot of investors are on the sidelines and they are watching and when they see this move up here, they just get excited and they jump in because they think the stock is going to go higher. The dancing banana comes out, the booyah signs come out. Then all of a sudden, bam, it drops. Why? Well, all these people here who got in the stock early are taking their profits, and rightly so. I always tell people, take profits when you can, lock them in. New investors are often left wondering what the hell happened here, and confusion gets even worse as the stock keeps dropping. At this point, we usually get these guys who are involved there early on telling everyone to be cool about it, not to worry. At this point, you should not be listening to what people say. All you got to do is look at the chart because everything you need to know is being told to you right here. There is an important support level. If the stock breaks through that, something is wrong. It is not working out, regardless of what this guy says. And before you know it, the stock broke under support and you are starting to get really sad. And as another support level is broken, that sadness turns into anger. And soon, as the stock drops even more, that anger turns into fighting. Now, we always have this. It's the longs and the bashes, and they start going at it. At this point, the moderators at HSM are rolling their eyes because they've seen this a thousand times before. And this is actually one of the saddest and one of the funniest parts of each and every pump and dump because without fail, it always happens. The members are arguing and fighting. It's the longs versus the bashes. The moderators read all this exchange, and there's usually a lot of profanity involved, and they start banning people. Then there's always the conspiracy nut, who suddenly decides that the moderators must be part of the conspiracy, because if they ban someone who is bashing the stock, they're trying to hide the truth. Or if they ban someone who was low on the stock, they're also trying to hide the truth. And as you can see, this is an actual webcam image of what that person looks like. The moderators reading this are yawning by now and rolling their eyes because they've seen this a hundred times before. The rest of us are laughing because we've also seen this all the time. And life goes on, days turn into weeks and weeks into months. The people still involved are so emotionally scarred. These are, I don't know who these people are, but they keep on beating the dead horse, and the rest of us are just watching and eating our popcorn. And so that's, in essence, what a, a pump and dump is. And then when you look at what happened with Facebook, it, it kind of mirrors that a little bit, other than the fact that you don't have the big spike that he talks about. And, um, you know, just... 
looking at it from 30,000 feet, it's it's kind of interesting because there was an article that came out through CNN the other day, and um, I guess it was on Thursday, and I um, I was reading through it, and it was talking about how the I think it's 8%. 8% of these um, Facebook accounts are fake, and they Facebook wants to disable them. Basically, they're people with, like, pets and, you know, posting um, other, I guess, aliases, if you will, and, and utilizing those to go around and either spam people or, or it just – it's really not what Facebook was, quote-unquote, designed for because it even says in Facebook's terms and conditions that you're only allowed one Facebook account per individual. And then what it goes on to say in the article – is that as it finds that these are all false accounts and and that they're going to start shutting them down but leaving them on the servers, if Facebook does – and this is a quote. It says if Facebook does shut down your account, it says that you can't recreate a new one uh, without Facebook's permission. So it's somewhat of a censorship issue. But in reality, we've all seen people with Facebook accounts for their cats and stuff like that. So, TJ, what is the overall goal for Facebook if they don't want people to have, quote-unquote, phantom accounts? Why do they want everybody to have their own individual account? And then piggybacking on top of that, what makes this so interesting to see this internet giant mogul of, uh, I guess – I guess social media, IPO at something big, and then a couple months later, it's worth half of what it IPO'd. So talk about what the, the real backbone of Facebook is, and then talk about you know why, it would, why they would just come out and, and have this exorbitant loss after they hype the stock so much. Did I lose him? Oh, wow. We're having some issues here with Blog Talk Radio this morning, so bear with me, everybody. I'm going to try to get TJ back up on the line. And Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now, man. Sorry about that. We're we're having some issues here with Blog Talk, but um, did you hear what I said? Oh, yeah, I heard what you said. Okay, um, yeah. So so take it from take it from me. <laughs> man, it's been an interesting morning so far, and uh, I've had a lot of listeners text in saying that um, they're having trouble accessing the show today, so it must be on the server end. But um, yeah, as I said, break down just to reset. Break down what Facebook. Why would Facebook want us only to have one individual account? And then on top of that, why would they hype this stock so much, knowing that it was going to come out and, and crash? And what does that mean for other, you know, for future IPOs for for social medias like Twitter and stuff like that? I wrote an article um, early on this year, actually breaking down the whole entire Facebook. Um, company, and I actually showed how that a lot of the um, investors who actually helped get Facebook off the ground actually worked for agencies of the Department of Defense and Homeland Security. No, TJ, come on. (laughs) And one of the things that Homeland Security wanted was to create a mass database that they could actually have on the majority of the individuals inside America. Even though that Facebook is global, um, their whole main goal is to um, create this huge database that they actually can pull it up on you where, you know, that's why they ask you so many questions as what do you like or your friends or your family so they can actually have this stored away. And um, when you actually do the digging and you trace back the money, it actually leads back to the Department of Defense. That's the whole thing that Facebook is actually meant for, that they want to um, keep tabs on you. That's why you see so many sites like Google. Um, See, a lot of the ways how companies actually make money is um, they not only do, of course, they sell advertisement space, but what they do is they also sell their data. Anytime when you log into something, when you go on the internet, when you watch something on there, anytime you do something, there's always tracks, there's always cookies that follow you. And Facebook, Google, Yahoo, and these other companies, what they do is they actually track what you 
search, they track what you look at, and then they um, collect it inside data. And companies actually buy this. And one of the biggest, one of the um, the biggest buyers is actually the U.S. government. They buy the data that they actually collect upon the American people and the people of the world, so they can then analyze it and see what people are actually trending. Yeah, and that even piggybacks on top of, and if you guys want to search engine this. Um, it piggybacks on top of Google running analytics and and being able to being able to predict mass movements in society, and Facebook is just another avenue for them to collect data. And I don't want to go as far as saying that this is, you know, this is a a Stasi model where anybody that under or that anybody that's done some history and and done some research on the on the Nazi regime they had. Um, Basically, a Stasi file on the majority of the population in uh, in Germany, and in essence, it would say who your friends are, just exactly like what Facebook is. So, you know, from from our analysis, I guess, and TJ and always talk about who benefits. That's the one thing that you should ask yourself: is that if, if there if there's a lot of funding coming from from coming from the DoD, which used to be called the War Department, don't ever ever forget that that they changed it to the Department of Defense it was called the War Department up until the 70s so if the majority of the money comes from that they're probably going to be getting something out of it they're not going to put in federal grants and they're not going to put in government money just to just to make somebody happy and make somebody an IPO it's just not going to happen so TJ moving on what's the uh, what's the article that you wanted to cover really quick and then we'll um, we'll we'll start diving into the UN gun treaty and, and fluoride in the water because we're um, we're quickly running out of time here today. So we have Russia is um, sending three amphibious warships to their um, to the port in Syria of Tartus, containing I believe is two hundred and two hundred something Marines each. Now, and it's not clear exactly what they're going to do, but they did say that they could be evacuating. Um, their soldiers. Uh, my base um, is actually carries 120 Marines. They're sending three of them. They will be um, docking at um, the Tartus port, which is um, one of the Russian ports inside Syria. And they did say that they will most likely evacuate um, their men and women who are who are actually stationed there, because as you know, that now Syria is inside a civil war state. Yeah, and and I've got an article here that piggybacks on top of that, which is um, which is pretty interesting, and and this is going to come to as a shock to um, to some people, but um, this is from the Guardian, and once again, I will link all these documents to my website, wearenotcattle.net, so you guys can pull them up for yourself with just quick hyperlinks. And TJ, and you and I talked about this last night, and. And it's starting to get really interesting when you when you start to see these lines get blurred. And the and the article is from the Guardian, and the headline reads: Al Qaeda turns the tide for the rebels in battle battle for East Syria. So the article expands out and goes on to talk about how Al Qaeda leaders are are working with the Free Syrian Army, and what they're doing is they're using their specialty, their quote unquote specialty, which is bomb making. And and actually instigating from a terrorist quote unquote terror side, they are they are utilizing their bomb making um, expertise in order to help this leadership with uh, IEDs and car bombs and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see that that Al Qaeda, which TJ, you and I talked about this last night. If you if you trace the roots of Al Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, which if you follow the Muslim Brotherhood back even to the 40s, was um, was helping the Nazi regime and Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox. They were helping him destabilize Egypt when, um, when the Nazi regime was starting to spread down there. So tracing all this stuff back, and TJ, you and I talk about how the CIA helped fund Al-Qaeda – and then the CIA talks about how that Al Qaeda went "quote unquote" rogue or something like that, and then that's why they they attacked the U.S. with Osama bin Laden, who was also a um, an asset of the of the United States government. But and then he got all the funding because of his construction firm 
to rebuild was it I was it Iraq that he was given all that funding for his construction company to to rebuild was it was it Iraq or was it Iran? You talking about Bin Laden? Yeah, Bin Laden. His his um his construction company was. It was I believe it was Iraq. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how all this stuff ties together. And and TJ and I always talk about we just want to talk about facts and. And these are documented facts that you can research on your own, and it doesn't take you much time. You can do it with a search engine. But once again, always find credible sources and make sure that the that the information checks out. So once once we're starting to see the see these proxy wars, it's really turning into TJ. Doesn't this look like a, a desert storm situation or like a cold war situation all over again with these with these little proxy wars? And and a lot of and a lot of hype coming from both sides, and a lot of posturing coming from both sides, from from the Russian side of things, from the um, Iranian side of things, which we'll get into a little bit later, but also from the U.S. side of things, where the U.S. is kind of being the aggressor in in these situations. And um, I've got a clip from Ron Paul where he talks about us being the aggressor with Iran. But do you see this as is similar to a, a Cold War scenario? What we had before with a lot of um, basically a lot of, of, of posturing and a lot of poking and prodding through proxies. I mean, yeah, it actually seems to me like a very mild um, Cold War. It's not like I said, it's not as uh, major as it was um, back inside um, like the late um, 40s down to the um, early 90s when the Cold War took place, but this seemed like a very, very mild Cold War that um, they are using proxy wars like they did. Um, if you actually know that it was the U.S. who actually gave and who gave weapons and money um, to um, the Islamists who was actually fighting the Russians when they invaded Afghanistan in the 70s. And that's where a lot of the, their weapons actually come from. And so what we actually seeing now is that once again that we have um, Al Qaeda rebels helping out Syria, the same Al Qaeda that actually helped um, tr um, stumble over um, what's the name of that country called? I can't think of it. Egypt. Uh, Egypt and Libya. Yeah. Um, so as you basically see that you know that, that the CIA is actually using them um, to do their dirty work and is actually working. Yeah, and, and all of these things that TJ and I talk about are not rhetoric. These are documented facts that the CIA helped fund these people, and and they talk about how they wanted to to fund these extremist groups to to start proxy wars. And it's it's like I said, it doesn't take a lot of research on your part, but um, you can go find these facts for yourself. And the more you read about this stuff, it's like TJ and I talked about last night. The more you learn about reality, the wider your spectrum gets, and then you can really start to to understand what um what's been going on and and what is off the off the quote unquote beaten path but there's still documentation about it. So TJ, let's get into your next article which um I think you were going to talk about the uh the Iran uh test fire missile and then what we'll do is we'll we'll jump into the Iran situation and play the Ron Paul clip and then we'll transition into the UN gun treaty and then um the study that came out about fluoride. Yeah, um, Iran uh, test fired a new missile. Um, it's a short-range missile, uh, and it has a new guidance system. Um, and this, of course, came from the defense minister's Ahmad Fahidi. He said this on Saturday that um, that the Fateh, which is the name of the missiles, the Fateh 110 has a range of about 300 kilometers, which is 180 miles. The IRNA reported meaning it will only be able to strike Iran's immediate neighbors. So, like, they will be able to hit, you know, people like um, Iraq and, you know, even some things inside Syria. Not too much as – it's not really a threat to us. And just like Ron Paul said that, you know, Iran is is, is really not a threat. Um, I believe that when you go inside, there's going to be just like Iraq. It's not going to be as much of a fight. But yet again, um, they keep on talking about, oh, they got nuclear weapons when even – the Israelis have admitted, and like I said, everything that we see out here is documented. In fact, even the is the Israelis have admitted that Iran has yet to even produce a nuclear weapon. So has the U.S. actually confirmed that. So we are basically just seeing another hyped up situation. And 
And in order for for the population to understand what's really going on here is the United States population is is very interesting in the fact that when you when you talk to most people TJ they they know the MO they know the modus operandi of the United States and it's kind of funny because you'll talk to people that are like oh the economy's doing kind of bad well I guess they're going to take us off to war again I mean don't you hear that from people even even mainline people that that you know they'll sit there and watch TV for 6 or 8 hours a day or whatever in suspended disbelief not really wanting to to understand the real microcosm of what or excuse me the the real picture of what we're what we're facing and the reason that we go to war they just know that if the economy gets bad the US trots off to war right yeah i mean cuz the people have been conditioned into into i mean you know you have gotten so used to what happening that it just basically becomes the norm right and then they they utilize the the mind tricks with the war on drugs the war on terror if you haven't noticed people you're always in the united states the propaganda is war on war on the pretty soon tj <laughs> i think we're going to have a war on cancer or something like that it's going to be absolutely ridiculous but here's the ron paul clip on iran and anybody that says that they don't like um ron paul's um uh, foreign policy he's just being he from my perspective, he's telling the truth, but not only he's telling the truth, he's he's just being real. The fact of the matter is our economy cannot sustain another war, and war does not create profit for a country. It creates profit for the military-industrial complex, which is part of the problem that we're facing here in America. So here's the Ron Paul clip, and then we'll move quickly into the gun treaty and then to fluoride. Iran happens to be a third world nation. They have no significant Navy, Air Force, intercontinental ballistics missiles. The IAEA and our CIA said they're not on the verge of a nuclear weapon. It's so similar to what we went through in the early part of the, uh, this last decade when we were beating the war drums to go to war against Iraq. And it was all all facade. There was no danger from Iraq. So this is what we're doing, beating the war drums uh, once again. Now, since the bill has come back from the uh, conference, we're going to deal with civil liberties in Syria. Well, I happen to be a civil libertarian. I'm very concerned about civil liberties. But let me tell you, this bill is not going to do anything to enhance the civil liberties of the individuals in Syria. Now, if we were really interested in the civil liber- in civil liberties, why wouldn't we look to ourselves? Why wouldn't we look to the things that we do here? What about our warrantless searches under the Patriot Act? What about the policy of assassination and assassinating American citizens? What about arrest by the military, National Defense Authorization Act? What about the drone warfare that we go on? Do you think we are protecting civil liberties by arbitrarily dropping drones or threatening to rob drones any place in the world with innocent people dying? If we want to really care about civil liberties in Syria, why don't we care about the secret prisons we have and the history of torture that we've had in this country? What about the fact that kill lists are being made by the executive branch of government and... We sit idly by and approve of it by saying nothing, and the American people put up with it, and we march in this direction, marching into a determination to have another war. When you put on sanctions on a country, it's an act of war, and that's what this is all about. The first thing you do when war breaks out between two countries is, is you put uh, sanctions on them. You, you blockade the country. So this is an act of war. What would we do if somebody blockaded and put sanctions on us and prevented the importation of any product in this country? We'd be furious. We'd declare war. We'd go to war. So we are the antagonists. We're over there poking our nose and poking our nose in other people's affairs, just looking for the chance to start another war. First it's Syria, then Iran. We have too many wars. We need to stop the wars. We don't have the money to fight these wars any longer. So will somebody shut crazy Uncle Ron up from telling the truth all the time? I mean it really gets to a point where of absurdity where everything that he talks about is a pertinent issue and and he gets dismissed by the mainstream or he gets completely looked over.
TJ, wouldn't you agree that they they don't like uh, Dr. Rand Paul because or Dr. Ron Paul because of of stuff like this of just coming out against the establishment against the status quo and and, and telling it like it is that hey we can't afford this they're not doing anything to to infringe on you know to infringe on our national security what are we doing TJ you there and we are having Ron, Ron Paul is one of go. the realest politicians <laughs> that Washington has ever had in a while. I mean, seriously, like this guy, this guy is probably, if not one of the only, but one of the few people who is actually standing up against the establishment. And to do that in Washington, D.C. is, I mean, that is a task. I mean, seriously, I mean, you, he is literally surrounded by wolves. Yep. Well, he's surrounded, he's surrounded by a bunch of power hungry, a bunch of power hungry people that either get, they either get guilted into, to voting for certain things or they get bought off into certain things. So, you know, let's talk about this and and let's see if we got anybody that wants to weigh in on this. Um, I'm going to give out the number. We haven't given it out in a while because usually we run up against some time. But uh, before we jump into the U.N. Gun Treaty and the fluoride in the water, let's give out the number for the show. For those of you that want to call in, number is 602-753-1916. Anything you want to weigh in on, if you want to weigh in on the Iran situation, if you want to weigh in on the U.N. Gun Treaty, if you want to weigh in on fluoride in the water, if you got any takes on that, we'll take your calls. TJ, why don't you you jump into the U.N. Gun Treaty? And um, and break down uh, the Second Amendment first, and then we'll read Article Number Thirteen in its entirety, and talk about how it does nothing but contradict the Second Amendment. And if this thing gets ratified, everybody needs to get out on the streets and 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 number one, talk to talk to your fellow you know citizens, tell them what's going on, give them copies of this. Point them to a, a good website. I'll put the actual document up on my website. You can point them to my website. And then – so let's just go from there. But if this thing gets ratified and once you hear the language behind it, it'll it'll be blatantly obvious what they're trying to do. So TJ, Second Amendment and then go over the 13th or, or the 13th article of the treaty. Second Amendment of the United States Constitution clearly states – to maintain a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So how come it doesn't say anything about a standing army? Oh, the Founding Fathers didn't want that. All right, continue. So the Second Amendment, inside a layman term, is basically saying um, we want our people to have the right to bear arms just in case somebody who is foreign or domestic tries to take over. I mean, that that is really basically what it says. Yep. If anybody tell you different, then they're lying to you. Yeah, and it even goes on to state that it says the Constitution delegates altered the language of the Second Amendment several times to emphasize the, the military context of the amendment and the role of militia as a force to defend national sovereignty, number one, quarrel insurrection, number two, and protect against tyranny, number three. Okay? So, TJ, now that we have the backbone of what the Second Amendment is, let's go to – do you have the, the actual text of the, um, of the ATT treaty? If not, I can read Article 13. Oh, yeah, I have it. All right, so go ahead and, and read Article 13 for us. In its entirety, and then we will talk about why this is so scary from a from a civil liberty standpoint, but also from a Second Amendment standpoint. The United Nations Arms Trade Treaty, um, going down to Article Number Thirteen, this is what it says, and this is the Implementation Support Unit. A. This treaty hereby establishes an implementation support unit to assist state parties in this implementation. 
B, the ISU shall consist of adequate staff with necessary expertise to ensure the mandate entrusted to it can be effectively undertaken with the core costs funded by state parties. C, the, impl the, the implementation support unit with a minimized structure and responsible to, to states parties shall undertake the responsibilities assigned to it in this treaty. And then it goes down to release um, some of the things that they do. Now, but if you really want to unalive what they're saying, they are really saying that inside the, you know, or inside whoever falls under the United Nations, which includes the United States, that there will be a support unit created that will actually operate <laughs> – Outside of the outside of the United States government, in which the day will be funded by taxpayers. Yeah, that sounds right. Funded by taxpayers' money, and so that they will actually add support to be able to basically confiscate guns. Yeah, well, it goes even further than that. When you read the entire treaty, it talks about how they want to have a national database, and that threw up red flags for me right away. But then when it gets into the the 13th article, as TJ talks about, and he read it in its entirety, when you look at the implementation support unit, what they're, what they're tasked with is to actually come in and assist with, as he said, assist with the implementation of the treaty, which means that we are going to assist the United States with registering their firearms. So, I mean, it doesn't get any more cut and dry than this. So, it, it it's not a matter of how how should we go about this. This is just a, a straight no vote. And it's amazing that Time Magazine came out and talked about how guns how guns are winning because I think the American people found out that where they know this just from you know just from being passed down from generation to generation. Hey, the Second Amendment is not for hunting. No matter how many different people will talk about how it's it's about hunting and all that stuff. No, it's the last line of defense against tyranny. And we talked about it on the last show. The reason that we never got invaded by Japan was, you know, to quote one of their naval intelligence officers, he said that I'm not going to go invade the United States because there is a gun and or there's a rifle underneath every bush. Of the United States, and that's the exact fact. So understand, guys, it's there to protect us from from both foreign and domestic invaders. And as it says here in the um, in the constitutional, the, it delegates the language talking about the Second Amendment to protect against it's a quarrel insurrection and protect against tyranny. So we do have a caller on hold. TJ, let's go to the caller real quick, and then we'll break down the fluoride. Uh, caller, if you could um, just give us your name because we don't screen your call here. And then, um, and then pose your question for TJ and I, or just give us your comment on anything that we've talked about so far. And hey, caller, thanks, you're on there. There you go. Um, I, I like what you guys are doing. Uh, keep up the good work. Um, we need more people like you out there. Uh, I just wanted to comment on Ron Paul. You made a comment about uh, people are a little weary of his foreign policy. I run into that all the time. I've read several of Ron Paul's books, and unless you dive into the man's books and you get into his head and you understand that he really loves humanity, he loves humans on a human level and a godly level, but his foreign policy is one of freedom. It's one that our founding fathers had. So to hear all these people say that his foreign policy is crazy, it just boggles my mind. How do we combat that? Well, you're exactly right when you say that his foreign policy, I mean, is is based on a lot of the founding fathers' beliefs. You know, I can't remember TJ or you or the caller might be able to clarify this. Was it was it Jefferson that said that we need to be leery of foreign entanglements, or was that George Washington that said that? I believe that Washington. Yeah. Well. It, any way that you slice it, you're exactly right, caller. And and one of the things that w that we're facing here is is um, when you run up against a, a juggernaut like the mainstream media that can that can push their agenda through the both the left and the right side, you're gonna get this you're gonna get this war machine because it benefits the people at the top, the people that are involved in the military industrial complex, the people that need the subcontractors that need subcontractors that need their money, and you know, even if you want the United States to be the global police force, 
with the UN gun treaty coming out and anybody that studied the UN, the UN has got their own plans for a global global force. And what they want is they want to shrink the size of of every nation's standing in military and want to have what's called UN peace forces. And if you guys don't believe me, why don't you go to a to a toy store, whether it's, you know, Toys R Us or just Target or whatever, and go look at all the military toys. There there are no American soldiers. They're all UN peacekeepers or something of that nature. So you see the paradigm shift and it's behind the scenes kind of getting you conditioned to it so that you accept it when they talk about, oh, the UN Peace Force is here. And TJ, you and I well know that the UN as um as as fragmented as it is, it can still do a lot of damage to national sovereignty. So closing that out, let's get into fluoride in the water really quick, TJ. Let's talk about what we know about fluoride in the water. You know, there's a lot of rhetoric that goes around about the 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 Nazis using this in in their concentration camps and, and the Soviets using it. And TJ, what I found is there's a there's a mixed bag. It's we don't know we don't know exactly if it happened, but the documentation skews towards it didn't really happen, but then we have conflicting arguments saying that it did happen, but we can't prove it one way or the other. So let's let's not touch that portion of it. Let's touch the facts about what fluoride is doing, and then TJ, if you want to expand on it, let's – um. I'll read the the National Research Council that came back came out back in 2005, and then I want you to expand on uh, not only what fluoride is, but what it can do, and how it's part of a lot of larger drugs like Prozac, and how it makes up about 80% of what Prozac is. So, so the review by the National Research Council, which was actually given funding by the EPA to find out how fluoride levels were affecting people. This is back in 2005. Once again, I linked this to my site so you guys can find it there. It says, in light of the collective evidence on various health endpoints and total exposure of fluoride, that's total exposure over your lifetime, the committee concludes that the EPA's MCLG of 4 milligrams per liter should be lowered. Lowering the MCLG would prevent children from developing severe enamel fluorosis and reduce lifetime accumulation of fluoride into the bone that the majority the majority of the committee concludes is likely to put individuals at risk of bone fracture and possible skeletal fluorosis, which skeletal fluorosis leads to bone cancer, so for those of you that don't know. So, TJ, break down the effects of fluoride, what fluoride can do, and then we'll get into the recently released study that came out not so long ago and what we need to do as far as educating the public and and where they can find fluoride because let's just face it, it's everywhere. So TJ, break down what I just went over and then talk a little bit, you know, briefly about um about what fluoride is and what it does to to the brain, first of all, and then we'll dive into the new study. Fluoride does two I mean fluoride really does three different things. Um fluoride of course um it does protect the teeth um from um cavities but it also acts as an antidepressant and it also gives you cancer. Um if people are familiar with um Prozac, which is a drug that people who, you know, suffer from what I would say what depression and Yeah, other, that, that would be a good one. Yeah. You know, it's prescribed for that mostly. Um if you actually look at the ingredients of actually Prozac, you actually find that um, fluoride is actually a major component of it. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, is when fluoride is actually um, injected into um, some parts of the brain, it actually acts as an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And not to mention that uh, fluoride <laughs> is also one of the main components of um, rat killers. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> so so the reason that fluoride, and, and I've talked about this before, but the reason that fluoride came into existence was a, was a panel of, I believe it was six, but you guys double-check my facts here. Six dentists from the American Dental Association all agreed in a consensus that, that adding fluoride to the water at specific levels would help with what's called dental fluorosis. And so... No toxicologist 
were consulted when they decided to release fluoride into the water, and I think it was back in the 60s or 70s. So they didn't do any toxicology research. The FDA has come out and has a mixed bag about what fluoride is. They'll have their little off-the-grid studies that talk about how it's not bad for you and it's conspiracy theory. But what I wanted to go over is the article, and once again, I will link all this stuff to my site at the end of the day today, which says – in the article is entitled Development Developmental Fluoride Neurotoxicity, a Systemic Review and Meta Analysis. So basically they took all this data and they did what's called meta analysis, is where you take all the metadata, you crunch the numbers, you try to find the variables, the variances, and see if there is a corresponding ratio that would inhibit a yes or no answer. So the results state that the standardized weight mean difference in IQ score of those exposed in the reference populations was about um, 0.05. It was 95%. So it doesn't mean that it was 95%. It meant that, that there was a drop, a significant drop, in what they call the, the high fluorinated areas and then what they have their control variables or the reference populations, which are the, the lower fluorinated areas. So the conclusion goes on to say, thus children in high fluorinated areas had significantly lower IQ scores than those who lived in low fluoride areas. The subgroup and sensitivity analysis also indicated adverse associations through the substantial, oh my gosh, heterogeneous, heterogeneity that did not appear to decrease. So conclusions being, as I stumble through this, the results support the possibility of an adverse effect of high fluoride exposure of children's neurodevelopment. Future research should include detailed individual level information and prenatal on prenatal exposure, neurobehavioral performance, and cooperative or Covariance for adjustment. So basically, they're calling for more in-depth study, and they're talking about even going to the the child's development in in prenatal in prenatal care. So, TJ, what is amazing about the fluoride, and we're almost out of time here. What's amazing about the fluoride people is that when you go to buy drinking water from whatever convenience store you go to, look at the drinking water, look at the distilled water, and then you go to a certain section, and you'll see it in the very bottom, and it's got a little fine print, and it says with fluoride. If you go to all the a lot of the baby water, it has fluoride added with an exclamation point like it's this loving thing, but as we're seeing now – this research is coming out, and this was a Harvard study that they did where they crunched all this metadata. So this isn't just some back-of-the-house thing that some guy that had a blog wrote about. This is serious stuff. So, TJ, let's go and, and then close with this. What are your thoughts here, and how do we wake up the population to say, hey, maybe, just maybe, that we have been purposely given this 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 toxin – to keep us both docile and also to um, to dumb us down a little bit, and they're starting to do it with the kids even on the early stages. So we need to kind of stop this or at least bring it to attention, but you'll never see the mainstream media talk about this because it's not going to get them ratings. So close the show with your thoughts on fluoride and how we get people aware of what's going on. I mean, the best way to do it is that there has to be a good platform that actually to tell people about it. And just how we said earlier before how that um, we are trying to launch a new platform that will go deeper, I think that um, coming up soon that we're going to start going more in-depth inside a second radio show that mm -hmm. will actually hit, I mean, really deep on the information that people who already know about it um, needs to know. Yeah, and and one of the things that you need to, to do from – from our show, and like I said, don't take my word for it. Don't take TJ's word for it. Go out and do the research from yourself. And the and the more research you do, the more you find that that this stuff is not only true, but it, it really goes above and beyond what we're saying. We're just cutting we're just cutting the surface here. So I want to thank the caller for calling in. Thank you everybody for listening to the show today. I've got a little bit different exit audio, but it is very pertinent. And listen to the lyrics of what these people are trying to say. And this is exactly what we need to do. We need to not only 
We need to not only get the information out, but we need to unite and and try to bring this to the forefront and and try to take not only our country back, but try to make the world a better place. You must know life to see decay, but I won't rot. I won't rot. Not in this mind and not in this heart. I won't rot. And I took you by the hand And we stood tall And remembered our own land What we lived for But there will come a time 